Welcome into another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready, Chris Landry with me here today as well. It is Tuesday, February the 16th. Hope you all had a uh, great Valentine's Day weekend. Hope everyone is um, safe and warm and dry, and hopefully you have power where you are listening to us. It's um, it's even cold in Baton Rouge today, Chris. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say it though because it's warm compared to what everybody. If you're not uh, in South Beach, I guess <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it's. I think it's 22 as we. We do this podcast live on Tuesday morning, and I think it got into supposed to get down to 15, 16 uh, last night. So uh, it's going to be two straight days of it not getting above freezing. So that's always a, a challenge with your pipes and whatnot. So, uh, but I know a lot of people are in a lot worse shape, that's for sure. I know y'all are on a snow watch right there. Yeah, it's uh, seven degrees right now as we uh, hit the record button. It's, uh, Wind chill of minus three, they say. We're supposed to get a high of 23 today and uh, sunshine. So that ought to melt a lot or some of the ice. And then tonight it gets down to 14. So what gets melted will freeze back over. And then we're watching. We're right on the cusp of snow slash frozen rain here in Oxford, which is kind of interesting because LSU has to travel here for basketball or is scheduled, I should say, to travel here for basketball. Wednesday, that game got moved to Thursday at 4 o'clock. It was going to be played tomorrow night. At 8, it got moved to Thursday because I think the weather tomorrow night is going to be a little hazardous in Oxford. So hopefully they can get that game in. I know it's a it's a big opportunity for both LSU and Ole Miss. We'll talk some basketball in a little bit. But, yeah, it's you uh, You look around. Like my brother's in, in North Louisiana. He sent me pictures from uh, from Ruston. They got, they got a ton of ice followed by a ton of snow. Um, Ruston, like a winter wonderland. I grew up in Ruston. I think we got one big snow in my entire life there. I think it was 1982. We got a big snow where we missed a week of school. And uh, so they, they get another one of those. What's that? 18, 30, 39 years later. So about once every four decades, Ruston gets hammered by a snow. That's the, that's my scientific assessment. My brother um, uh, mentioned something yesterday. So we had, I think it was two years. Well, it would have been December of 2018. So a little more than two years ago. I believe it was 2018. I may be off a year. I don't know. We had the biggest snow we ever had in South Louisiana. Um, and it was like December. It was December 8th. And it was you know really, really weird. What made it weirder was the fact that December 8th, still pretty busy during football season, right? So I I hadn't watched the weather all week. So can you imagine me coming in in the morning, opening my window that day, and I saw, I mean, I literally had a flashback like, am I, have I been dreaming? Have I been in Cleveland? You <laughs> know, I looked at it literally, and I don't mean a little snow now. I'm talking, what's the most in, and recorded, I think they started recording snow back in the late 1800s. And it's the largest one ever. And I don't, I don't remember the details of how, why, but it was just unbelievable. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just like, so the, on top of that, I wasn't expecting it because I just hadn't been watching the, the news. 
so busy. Again, football season was kind of in to its conclusion, but so that was the one that. Uh, but we have we're not expecting anything like that. Um, that that's a once in a life. I probably will never live to see that again. And in South Louisiana, anyway, uh, in my travels, I see far too much of it. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's always I always find it interesting when the South gets hit by by storms like this because they don't come often. And when they do, obviously the South is not typically prepared for it. And, you know, right. it's it, and and frankly, <clears throat> frankly, why would you be? I mean, like in a town like yeah, town yeah. where I live in Oxford, we it, we get ice like this once every I don't know four or five years. You would be it would be a waste of resources to have like storages of salt and stuff for correct, correct. You know, you just so when it comes, you just kind of. Because it, typically it's going to melt. It's like it's going to get warmed. It's going to warm up no later than Friday. That's exactly right. And so it's going to be okay. And but all the people criticize the South for not being prepared for it. Well, of course we're not prepared. Well, for why, it. why would you? Like you said, why would you? It's, you know that that's what we do. We say Thursday. I mean tomorrow afternoon, and South it'll it'll be forty five fifty degrees. Yeah, you'll you'll wait it out like we wait out a storm. It's going to melt. You know, uh, you have to, if you're in Minnesota, you spend a fortune for taxes, but it's worth it because that's all they do. I mean, they're out there every day, like, like yeah. any other maintenance, like the UPS truck. They're out there every day scraping the road. Well, you, they, the work in Chicago and many, they, they don't, they don't stop because they can't stop unless it's really, really bad where they can't control it. But yeah, we don't deal with that. Why would you do something? That's why they say, okay, look, you know, if you're in, you're in Oxford, you're in Memphis, you, you you get the salt down from Minneapolis when you know stuff is coming and you do it and you might not need it again for a couple more years. So uh, Gus Malzahn, the mm -hmm. former Auburn coach, <clears throat> excuse me, formally introduced as the uh, the head coach at, at UCF yesterday. Um, I was a little not surprised that Gus got the job. I was a little surprised based on some conversations I'd had with people last week. I was a little surprised that that Gus decided to take the job i know there were some people around him that were like take a year off there's no offset on the auburn money he's due i think it's 21 million dollars or or so um so he's already gotten one of one of those payments he's got two more payments to go so he's guaranteed that money no matter what uh there were some people who were like hey do tv for a year maybe do some analyst stuff play some golf whatever but apparently that's just not the way he's wired he's a football guy he wants to coach football. He was offered the UCF job. And I think the more that he dug into the UCF job, the more that he liked what he saw, the more that he thought he could, he could win there. And ultimately he, he took the job, I guess, on Sunday night. So um, Gus Malzahn, the new, the new coach at central Florida, what's, what's your reaction? I, to that? I think, I think you hit it. It's the central Florida job. I think he sits out. I think he does exactly what you said and what his friend suggested he should, he do. If it's not for Central Florida, I do think he, you know, is a coach. I don't know that he's um, as comfortable just picking up, kicking up his feet. And I think he's still young. But I think it was he probably sits out a year if it's not the Central Florida job. I think that Central Florida job, I know this, it's one in, in the coaching profession that is very coveted because it is the best. Group of five job. It is a 
depending on how you want to look at it, it's a stepping stone job. Or if you're Gus and you got some grandkids and, you know, he's, you know, near Mickey and what have you, then, you know, he's, he's, that could, you know, I don't know that Gus is going to get another big time job that this might be his job. And I don't know that he's going to be eager to move. I don't think he goes back into the SEC. I don't think he'd jump for, you know, necessarily maybe the right job. Yeah, but I, I think most of the jobs that you would think in Power 5, he'd probably pass over because the one thing I thought a lot about since Sunday night was, you know, my, my feelings on Gus are a little bit different. I mean, people kind of label him as, well, this offensive genius, and I, I, I don't. I think that's one of those things that's been perpetuated. I, I think his offenses have been um, has been very overrated. And, and other than, you know, certainly Nick Marshall and Cam Newton, he's been there a long time. Plenty of time to recruit the type of players he wants to run. That offense has no concept of a passing game, pass routes, pass protection. And so I, I think that when he didn't have – basically a running back, a quarterback that could also throw it a little bit. It just didn't work. What made Auburn successful when Gus was there, when they were successful, was the defense. And quite frankly, more specifically, Kevin Steele's defense. That was the strength. And, you know, but he's basically a lot of, again, people who just don't really study the game but follow it a little bit say, boy, beat Nick Saban three times. He did. That's true. He did. And he's a good recruiter, not a great one. He doesn't recruit an elite level, but he recruits well. Um, but I don't think he's in – he didn't have what I would call collapses. Um, bless you. Um, and, and, you know, but he didn't have – Excuse me. Great, consistent success either. And But I also wonder, to go ahead and defend him a little bit, it's not my, you know, job to pump him up or defend him, but sure, I do know that Auburn job is – you know, so political, and he's dealt with a lot of, you know, forcing this, forcing that, take away play calling, if you're going to keep the job, this and that. And I don't think he was strong enough, nor was the personality to fight it. And so I, here's what I would say for Gus. He will not have the interference at Central Florida that he had at Auburn. He doesn't have to deal with that. So when as excited as he's – how excited did he sound, my goodness – he looked like, like my God, what, what, was it the eight weeks? I mean, did he recharge his battery? I mean, he was like jumping through the roof. Yeah. I, I think the fact that he doesn't have to worry about the, you know, the, it's not going to be, and I, I laugh because of the Orlando me, well, you're ready for this type of pressure. I'm like, give me a break. <laughs> say, you get, you, you, give me a break. It comes from Auburn. You know, Central Florida, yeah, they'll fire you if, at Central Florida if you don't do a good job. But, you know, there's not the spotlight there, you know, and you're replacing Josh Heupel. You know, it's not like, you know, it, it, it's you – no, know, I mean, this is not pressure. Let me, not pressure. Let me interrupt for a second. Let's let's get real here. Oh, that that that's what uh, one of the Orlando guys said. Yeah. Are you ready for this type of pressure? I'm like, what you talking about guys that – Think they grew up in Orlando and have no idea what SEC football is? Well, here's the other thing, too. The Orlando Sentinel and those newspapers down there are going to be nothing but cheerleaders for Gus Malzahn. 
they're going to cheer unless he just completely bombs, at which point they'll start calling for his head because that happens everywhere. But it won't be anything like what he deals with oh, of course. at Auburn where the expectation is is to win, the expectation is to win big, the expectation is to be a national title contender in a in a, at a place where you're sandwiched right now between two machines, one at, at, at Alabama and one at Georgia. You're expected to beat them, and not only beat them, but beat them regularly. And when you don't, you're reminded of it constantly. You're expected to, to recruit against them, to beat them on the recruiting trail. The, the Auburn job, which I think is a great job. But the Auburn job right now is a booger bear. It is pressure. It is, it is, it is right now one of, and let me make sure I'm making this clear because I don't want to upset people. I really don't. Historically, the Auburn job's a top 15 job, maybe a top 10 job. But today, right this moment, it's not. Because Nick Saban is is in Alabama in what is we we will look back. 30 years from now and say, what a historic, unprecedented, never-to-be-repeated run. I don't know that anyone will ever be able to do anywhere what Nick Saban has done at Alabama over the last 12, 13 years. I don't know that it's possible. I don't know that anyone could ever do at LSU or at Auburn or at Georgia or at Ohio State or at USC or at Penn State or wherever. I don't know that anyone could ever have that level of success again. I'd bet against it, I'll tell you that. So you've got that at Alabama, and then you've got what Kirby's doing at Georgia where they're right there on the cusp, year in and year out. We're getting ready to go into a season where Georgia's going to have uh, a, a strong veteran quarterback. They've got all this talent on defense. Georgia's going to be mentioned as a national title contender. So those are your two rivals. You're going to open the season next season with Alabama either number one or two preseason. Georgia's going to be somewhere in the top five, and they're going to be legitimate title contenders going into the season. And when you're the head coach at Auburn, expectation number one and two is to beat those two teams, and that is a pressure cooker. So he goes into Central Florida. He doesn't have that pressure. I mean, he has their pressure, which is not – nearly that much pressure and he has more resources than anybody else in that league, which is not the case again at Auburn. It's it's Auburn's got great resources. They're not lacking for resources, but everybody's got them. So it's a built in a winner built in more talent and you have a lot more flexibility, a lot more comfort. And yeah, on top of that, um, keeps all his Auburn money, makes some really good money on top. What a great retirement plan. I mean, I could see why he's dancing. I mean, it is a really – now, we're going to see what he can do offensively and and because this is all kind of on him and, you know, no Auburn interference and all that kind of stuff, And but he, he's not going to have to deal with that. Um, so, look, I, I think that in some ways he's escaped. He got the benefit of the Jimmy Sexton flirtation with Arkansas to get the last big contract at Auburn that allowed yeah. him to walk away a very rich man. And now he goes and gets another job. I think he said, I can't, I'm not going to have the Central Florida job in a year. I'm taking this thing. So I'm curious to see what's going to go go forward with Gus. And Now, my, my feeling on Gus is just that, 
that again, I don't think it he's I laugh because remember he said, God bless him. He said several how many times did he say, as long as I'm coaching, I'm gonna call the plays myself. He said like two, three times at Auburn and had to give it up because obviously people were sending that that's part of the problem that he dealt with. You're not gonna have to deal with that. So I'm curious to see how it works out. You're so right about Auburn for all the things you mentioned. I think the biggest thing to understand is that, folks, you're at Auburn. You have to play Auburn and Georgia every year. And in the modern time, there is nobody outside of maybe Clemson and Ohio State that even has a chance, an outside chance of going 2-0. Most people couldn't go 1-1. So you're starting – with two losses. I mean, you're basically at Auburn. You're starting with two losses. And I know Gus won against Alabama three times, but not being able to handle that, that that's what you're gauged on. And right now you're right. That's not going to happen. And I haven't even brought up that you also have to play AM and LSU in your division. I, I'm, I'm not even going there. And then you occasionally, not very often, occasionally have to play a Florida. I mean, it's not, it's tough. It is tough. And Auburn is, they are, everybody's playing second fiddle to Alabama. They're playing second, second fiddle in their state. And that's difficult because it just so happens that's where geographically the big, the big juggernaut is. So I think it's tough. I think, and I think Brian Harson's going to figure it out. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of those issues there, but he'll have time and they'll be more patient with them because the one thing they did give Gus, they may not have cooperated. They may have caused a lot of hurdles in his way. They gave Gus a lot of time. And I do think Gus's inability to fix and understand how to fix what he's supposedly great at. He's not great on all. He's not a great offensive coach. I mean, he's, he can have success, if the right pieces, but he had a lot of time to fix the pieces. Uh, GJ Gatlin one says, uh, he asked, is Orlando media similar to Memphis regarding the university of Memphis? If so, you, UCF is a great job to have. That's the exact perfect comparison. If you listen to Memphis talk radio, if you look at Memphis print coverage, it's very, it's very pro Memphis. There's pressure to be pro Memphis from the higher ups. You, uh, essentially have to be a cheerleader. If you're going to be on the air in Memphis and it's very similar to that in Orlando. Um, and there's, there's that same at Memphis. There's almost, there's such a pressure to be pro Memphis that you attack Tennessee, you attack Ole Miss, you attack Arkansas, the, the SEC schools that are around there at UCF. It's kind of similar in Orlando. There's a, there's, you talk about the Gators and you talk about the Seminoles, but, but there's this pressure to be Orlando based. And so, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very similar. So, I'll ask you this before we we're not spend a whole hour on on UCF. Had you been the AD at UCF, who would you have hired, Chris? I, I, I was a big fan of Jeff Levy. I think that he fit the profile, not because the players wanted him. I mean, that's just, and I don't even think it's well because he's familiar with the program. Because I think Gus has got a lot of connections. That's a that's a recruiting area anyway. I just think that. Um, I'm not against the Gus hire, um, but I but I think to me, I think that Jeff's a really bright young coach, and I probably would have gone in that direction. My, my I do think Gus will have more. 
he'll have more success at Central Florida, relatively speaking, than he did at Auburn. And he had success at Auburn. My God, he, he, it's not like this guy failed. It, it, of course he did. My thing is everybody looks at, I always say this, everybody looks at the result. I look at the process that creates the result because that's what's important. And for me, how it looked every year with Gus was the same issue. Offensive line couldn't pass protect. They didn't have any route concept. They, they were, with their offense and with their up-tempo, you could tell that Gus knew what he knew very well. But, boy, did great coaches to me are not guys who bring a scheme. Great coaches are guys that alter a scheme because football is a constant game of adjustments and modifications. And Gus has never modified. With his up-tempo power run, he had things going. I, I just assumed with his offensive mind that he would grow with that and develop that. He never had an ability to do anything in a passing game. And people catch up to that. You can't adjust when they adjust to you. You don't hire schemers. You hire people who can create schemes and adjust. Because when they adjust to you, you have to adjust. That's the key. That's, I think, at Central Florida, he'll have success more than likely. He'll have more talent than everybody else that he plays. So that's going to give him a chance. But I don't think it'll be, you know, all that. You know, I, I, I probably would have gone with Jeff. I want to address something here real quick because um, Blaine says something not realistic to do with Bama is doing recruiting as a way to topple Bama when you start beating them consistently, recruiting for elite talent. Abel Schultz of vulnerability. Blaine, I got news for you. George is recruited every bit as good as Alabama. Clemson has. Ohio State has. It's not just talent. Alabama develops and coaches it better than anybody. Okay, now you're correct. It is about talent, but it's how you develop that talent. Georgia ha doesn't do it quite as well. And don't tell me, well, Georgia's second in Alabama. No, no, no. Georgia's been one. And that doesn't, the talent level has been great. But keeping the talent level, developing the talent level, you know, Georgia's inability to this point under Kirby to be great on offense when they have the potential to, you know, that's going to be the key going forward. There's, Look, the Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia can match Alabama talent for talent. Nobody else can, but they can match them. They're loaded. Uh, Alabama has the best talent. They keep the best talent. They develop the best talent. They coach the best. So it's not that easy. If it was that easy, somebody would have done it. And so I think that's really, really, you know, important to note. That it's not about, well, all they do is recruit. No, no, no. They develop. That's why they're really good. And I think that's the missing point is how much better they are. Yeah. My response to what Blaine's saying is I get what you're saying. But who's beating them in, in consistently in recruiting for elite talent? Right now, nobody is. Nobody's beating Alabama consistently. They finish number one in recruiting every year. And then they're great at evaluating. They're great at uh, they're great at developing. They have a culture there that that uh, everyone else is trying to is trying to recreate. Um, it, it's I'm telling you, I think the day is going to come. It's it's it, it it's hard to see it in the moment. I think history is going to be even kinder 
to Nick Saban than the present is. I think people are going to look back on it and go, there just aren't many people who could do what he does. <laughs> I mean, he has a, a, he has a fire that, that is apparently just, it doesn't ever diminish. It doesn't, it, it, it not only does it not get extinguished as he gets older, it just doesn't diminish. He just keeps going. He has this energy and he never gets in his own way. Usually. It, usually consistency. It leads to the consistency. But usually people, as they get older, the people that have this passion, this, this burning passion, as they get older, it becomes a hindrance. They get set in their ways. To me, this is the part of Alabama that they don't get enough credit for. Usually, you'll see a guy have success long-term, and as he gets older, he gets stubborn. This is the knock on Gus in many ways. Is He's stubborn. You can't say that about Saban. Saban surveys the landscape and says, okay, somebody's catching us here. Let's, let's adjust. That's, to me, what the difference between Saban and some other historically great coaches is his adaptability his ability to change, his abil ability to, to be a chameleon. And I mean that in a, in a positive way, their ability to, to go from what they, when you go back and look at Alabama in like 2012, 2013, and look at that offense compared to the offense today, totally different deal. Defensively, they're, they're, they're somewhat different. They've adjusted to the way that, that things are done. And a lot of coaches don't have that adaptability. And so ultimately the, 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 the clock runs out on them. You know the, the the hourglass runs out of sand. Saban doesn't. It's like as soon as, as soon as the sand gets halfway down, they just turn the thing over. Yeah. Look, here's the thing about it. Um, greatness is consistency. You know, a lot of guys can be great for periods. Um. You know, the people that can do it time and time again. Saban has had a lot of people. A lot of coordinators, they win with different people, different players, different styles, as you mentioned, different coaches. And it's it's his leadership, his attention to detail. It's the perfectionism, the perfectionist in him, I should say, on getting everything done. That's what gives them the edge. You know, I always say you take Alabama, you take Nick Saban, Alabama out of the equation. College football is pretty interesting. Because, you know, you don't know what's really going to happen. You take them out of the picture, and you don't know what happens. I mean, you don't know what would happen at other places where, you know, you can have a run. You can have an LSU one-off. You can have an Auburn, you know, who may, may you know, beat Alabama a couple of times, three times, actually, uh, Dusty. But the reality is the consistency. Can you do it? Can you follow that up with a big win, or do you lay an egg? Um, there's never any letdown. There's never any of that. So it's it's just one of those things that I don't think people get. It's yeah, it's it's it is recruiting, but it's evaluating and getting the right evaluations correctly. You know, Georgia has recruited very well, but you know they've had some of those quarterbacks that pick up and leave. You know, Alabama has them too, but usually it's because Alabama wants to get them out because they didn't turn out as well as they thought. They sent a five star guy a linebacker uh, out yesterday or two days ago. And, you know, just because he's just not quite as good, they misevaluated, hadn't developed, whatever, they're going to make that scholarship available to someone else. I and mean, that's how they do it. You know, Georgia's not quite done as good a job. Yet, Georgia's done a hell of a lot better job than people give Kirby credit for. But everybody's being compared to Nick, 
And by comparison, no one measures up. I mean, the only people that have come close is Dabo. People wanted to put Dabo on the same tier, and people wanted to put Urban on the same tier, and it, it just hadn't quite. Well, that's it. The list not, there. And, yeah. and, 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 and they're really, and they're really, with all due respect, not as close as people want to make it out to be. You know, other than the fact that they're young, and let me just say this too, Kirby's very young. I mean, he's got, you know, a lot of time, but I don't know what he's going to do with it. I don't know that, you know, I said, well, he's not going to, no one's going to win as much as Saban. That's just so me, why he's special. So let me ask you this. Grind says here, uh, this is UGA's best chance to win the title since Kirby's been at Georgia other than 2017. But in 17, they were still slightly less talented and experienced than Alabama. Hate them. Grind's an Auburn fan. Hate them, but they should win it all this year. Do you you agree? Does Georgia should I, you I, I, I think that they've got as good a chance as anybody. But how we're going to sit here in February? We don't know what's going to happen. There's so much that's going to happen to affect the team. Yeah, I think their chances are good. They're bringing a good quarterback back that's experienced. What if he goes down? Then all of a sudden, forget it. It's you know, I mean, can can you get? Um, Brandon Griff ready to go. How quickly can they get him? I mean, you know, you've, you to me, there's so many variables. They're really good. They're right in that mix. We'll see what they can do offensively and how much they progress. I think there's the ability there. But let me also mention this, too. And this is one of the things that's unique about Georgia. Kirby is 43-ish, very young. This is his first head coaching job. Okay. Now, there's no excuses. You get a job, but if you're Georgia, Georgia's unique. Georgia, other than one time, they've hired an assistant coach to be their head coach at Georgia. Only Jim Donnan. And actually, it was Glenn Mason who took it and turned him down from Kansas. Yeah. That's the only time they've ever hired a head coach. Every coach that they've hired has been an assistant. So it's a tough situation. Look at Jeremy Pruitt. Didn't go so well at Tennessee, and a lot of them haven't. Kirby's done a really good job there. You know, you're not – Nick Saban today is not the Nick Saban that I knew at Toledo. He's not the same guy when he took the job at Michigan State. All those experiences just, you know, they pile up day after day, year after year, and that's made him to what he is the Dolphins experience, the LSU experience, all of that. Kirby hadn't had that. He's kind of had a, quite frankly, a charmed life, as I like to call it. You know, like, remind me a little bit of Jeff Fisher on the pro side, who I work with, that Jeff went from a player, Buddy Ryan, who was his, pardon the pun, Buddy, and, you know, put him on the staff in Philadelphia, and all of a sudden he's the coordinator, and he goes to the Rams and the Niners, the head coach. Never really... He never built the foundation. It took him a while to build the foundation. I think Kirby Smart has done, again, this is from a coaching viewpoint, not a fan viewpoint because I'm not a fan. I think he's done one hell of a job because he's learned an awful lot on the in a trial run at a big-time program that would swallow up a lot of folks. He's not winning the race, but he's not drowning either. He's really good, and, and you know, if you take away Nick Saban, I mean, look, I don't know that I would want anybody else for Georgia other than him. I think he's an ideal fit. Now, we'll see if down the road, if 10 years from now, he still hasn't 
fix some of the same problems, then you got a problem. But, you know, it's not like they're losing four games and three, you know, I mean, they're, they are, they are really at an upper level and you know what? They're close is not to me. It's more about, I admire the people that are consistently there. I heard the same thing about Tom Osborne. Couldn't win the big game. Chokes in the big game. Can't beat, can't beat Oklahoma. Can't do that. Bobby Bowden couldn't win the big game. They did. And when they did, they became icons. You know, I'm not saying that it's going to happen with Kirby. I'm just saying that he's a lot younger than those other guys were before they started to, you know, pile up. And no one piles up six or seven titles. No one except Bear and Nick. That's the thing that people understand. You cannot compare. We'll, uh, we'll switch to some other topics in just a second. First, I want to tell you we're also brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly throughout the uh, thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Uh, Blue Sky uh, hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience from services to products. Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh. They always provide the freshest flavors of the brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all. And at Blue Sky, they want to show their customers that they care about them and their shopping experience. They'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the Southeast. We are also brought to you by um, Alpha Specialties, located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. It's your trailer-specific professional. If you want to haul it, they can call it. Alpha is the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. They've got Load Trail. It's the premium brand trailer, the highest quality utility equipment dump and gooseneck trailer being built today. Fully primed and powder-coated, Load Trail trailers come with an industry-leading three-year warranty and two years of roadside assistance. Alpha Specialties also has Hallmark Cargo Trailers, one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market today. Perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camps, um, uh, hauling race cars and more. Alpha can even work with third parties to have game day trailers and concession trailers built just for you. For podcast listeners, Alpha has spare tires and wheels starting at just $100. Alpha has a full selection of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories. Listeners can also get 10% off a yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full-service shop. They can repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, RV, and more. So give them a call at 601-932-9798 or check them out at alphaofms.com. Make sure you tell them you heard about Alpha on the MPW Digital Network of Podcast. All right, Chris, uh, what's going on with Tennessee's coaching staff? I know they're still in the process of trying to kind of put that together. Yeah, no, they've basically put the uh, the uh, the uh, defensive staff together. Well, they put the offensive staff together, and, of course, Tim Banks is going to be the defensive coordinator. Um, he's the co-defensive coordinator at Penn State. And look, there's no question they've had uh, a problem um, filling that spot. Um, I – recommend it. I, I really like Matt House a lot from from Kansas City. He turned him now with the Chiefs. Um he's a linebacker coach here. He's got he's got NFL capabilities. The, the, the reason why that was so difficult is you know to find a defensive coordinator 
you know, when you're going to run the type of offense that they're going to run is a different type of guy, a guy that's going to have to be, you know, uh, comfortable with, you know, the defense being on the field so much. You know, you, it, what I call it, the new age defensive coordinator that understand that they're subservient to the offensive coaches, meaning, look, get the ball back, you know, or get the hell off the field so our offense can go and score more points. And it's, you know, it's like how you define those defenses are differently. Good de- defense is every bit as important as it always has been. It's just defined differently. And it's getting off the field in third downs and in the red zone. And that's tough. You know, a lot of defensive coaches have a lot of pride. You know, I, I want to, you know, I, I want to come in and I, I want to do a good job. But my future and, and as well as the success and my pride and my players is, you know, we want to have some part in this success. And so, um it was tough. It's tough to kind of find that job. His offensive guys are his Central Florida guys, and Josh is going to run the offense. But I think this staff is, you know, okay. And um, certainly the defense coordinator hire was was way down the list of where they wanted to go. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's a it's a um, it's a tough spot. By the way, somebody asked on here. I saw it. Did Tennessee reach out to Gus? Gus put out the word Jimmy. Jimmy's his age, Jimmy Sexton. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gus had no interest in Tennessee. So it was not like, like save the phone call type. Gus did not want to go into a mess. He felt like, again, at his age, you know, people will say, oh, you, I can't believe that. Tennessee's in the SEC. No, no, no. Gus, I call this like a retirement job. Gus wanted to go where, it's the one good thing about it is uh, that if you're in Orlando, <laughs> you're an older person, you got kids, you got grandkids, not a great place to live. I don't know where all these kids and Christine, all them, where they, where they want to live and all that. But if they got transferable job, they're probably going to all go to Orlando and the beautiful weather. And we're all talking about the snow and it's probably beautiful today in Orlando. And, that's that's a great job for Gus, and it doesn't have all the headaches. I mean, if you're at Auburn and you really want to go into the headache that is at Tennessee, a different type of headache. Oh, what a mess! What a mess that is. So no, that was that was nothing done there. Uh, look, the Tennessee situation is is going to be quite the challenge. I'm not going to sit here and BS anybody and tell you that I love the hire of Josh Heupel. We're going to have to work, wait and see. I think it's going to it's going to be about his ability to recruit um, better. And, you know, I, I think the one thing there's a chance to is to create some stability. So we'll see. Rock Westfall says, who's the better hire, Heupel or Gus? Well, for whom? I mean, for 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 uh, it's certainly the better fit to me is Gus in Central Florida. Gus doesn't want the Tennessee job, so what's the point? Who's the better hire? Where? Yeah. So the next question. I mean, yeah, guy, you know, Gus got to tell. What do you do? Put a gun to Gus's head and say you're going to Tennessee? He's not going to Tennessee. He doesn't want it. So it's a, it's a moot point. What should <laughs> Grant says? What should Tennessee fans expect? I mean, what's 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 a realistic expectation right now, given the the current climate, the NCAA stuff, the fact that the SEC East is. Uh, Georgia's a, a power. Florida's right there on the cusp. You've got some consistency at places like Kentucky and Missouri. You play Alabama every year, so you start 0-1. Uh, 
I mean, that's a tough gig, even before you talk about NCAA sanctions. What's a realistic expectation for Tennessee fans? Well, I think fans, when people ask the question, they're, they're, they're talking about a win-loss record, and that's all relative. I think, I think what's right now needs to be to clean up things, meaning to calm the chaos and to kind of get the train on the track even if it doesn't move for a while or moves very slowly, got to get it on the track because it's been derailed for a while. I do think there's potentially some stability with Danny White as athletic as athletic director. And if nothing else, if Josh Apple is not the guy that can be a big time winner for them at the very least, I do think with both of them, Danny and Josh, they can at least get rid of, the tumult um, and, and kind of get them back to where they run in a professional manner. But in terms of success on the field, I don't know that I can sit there to, again, how many, um, I think being competitive, I think playing smart football, I think what he's, I can tell you what Josh is going to do. He's going to try to make that once he gets enough personnel, make that a fun offensive. It's going to be, you know, I, I don't know that the Tennessee fans are going to really like it because the old fans are going to think, Coach Nealon had a team that was never, you know, he, he had that. That's eh, not going to be what they're going to be. This is going to be like, you know. Grind makes a great point here, Chris. He says cleaning up is never fun. He, he's exactly right. He goes, that's why they made us sing the cleanup song as kids. <laughs> He's right. Remember that song? I, I didn't say it was going to be fun. Nope. But I mean, I, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that they're going to turn around. Look, can they go to bowl games if they schedule enough wins to get bowl eligible? Going to be tough to do it with a um, with, with an SEC schedule. And, and I think how it's going to look long term is probably not going to be what the Tennessee fans are because I don't think the defense is going to be. All that good. It's going to be about the offense. And I mean, I wasn't. Here's the thing you can be critical of the hire, but because Tennessee's done such a bad job, I can't sit here and look you in the eye or anybody in the eyes who are doing the show and say, I could have done better. I don't know. It was not as attractive as Tennessee football job should be. It's just not. And I just think that, in my opinion, it was that and the fact that Danny took a quick survey in like two weeks and said, you know what? This has been a mess. I better get somebody I trust that's not going to be a, you know, and I think he just hired Josh because Josh is somebody he could trust. And I don't think he had anybody else that he was as comfortable with. Um, and, I mean, he wasn't going to hire like, boy, that – Get that guy with Tennessee tight. No, no, no. That's what they don't want. They don't want anything to where there's this faction and that faction. They all want to go in the same direction. Well, so I think they're going to clean things up, but it's going to be ugly on the field. He got scared a little bit, and I don't blame him. Talking about Danny White, he he looked around. And you couldn't get Gus Malzahn to listen. You uh, you couldn't get Tony Elliott to leave Clemson as an assistant. You couldn't get Jamie Chadwell to be like, yeah, I'll definitely do it. You, so, in other words, the coach at Coastal Carolina, the coach at Louisiana Lafayette, the assistant at Clemson, the fired Auburn coach, when you can't get those kinds of people to enthusiastically go, oh, hell yeah, I'm in, 
you you got to take a step back and go, where's our job today? That's why I don't completely – I'm with you. I, I think I think Danny probably could have done better than Josh Heupel, but he could have done worse. And and so by by hiring someone to come in and understand, hey, it's going to be a rebuild. It's going to take time. There's got to be some culture build. Um, the, 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 the worst of this NCAA thing isn't there yet. Uh, these things are debilitating. The investigations, they take forever. They put your program on pause. They make it where you have to, let's be, I'm going to be honest here. I'll be transparent. You have to shut down your recruiting network during that time. You get whipped in recruiting. You're going to get crushed in the transfer portal. You still, the, the league, the league doesn't stop for you. It keeps rolling. It creates even more distance between the top and where you are. It makes the catch up remarkably difficult. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think Nate Tennessee's in for some really tough time. Yeah. And it's a fan base, Chris, that because they, they won back in the late nineties, they think they should win today. And that's just not how it works. Well, and that's what Grind's saying. I think Tennessee should be an easy nine win program. They should, of course they should be. That's what they are. But have you paid any attention what's going on behind the scenes politically at Tennessee for the past 10 years? That's why they're not now. They need to get back to where, that's what I'm saying, clean things up to where there's no question in a 12-win season Tennessee should be able to do that. You schedule that, you play in the ballgame. Easy to do if you're if you've got the train on the track. You don't need to be going fast. You don't need to be, be a big local. Just they've been off the rails for a while, and that's the point. They've got to get back to that, huh? It's been twenty years. But, uh, well, yeah, but, but twenty years. But twenty years ago, when Philip Former, they were along with Florida, the two best teams in the I league. Get I get it. You and I just—they're not—they're not there anymore. Alabama wasn't Alabama. Oh, Auburn I, was screwing around. LSU was screwing around. Yes, Chris, hold so on. That's the point. All of the advantages that Tennessee had in the late nineties, it no longer has anymore. It, it Tennessee, it was before the SEC network. Tennessee was able to go into Mississippi and Louisiana, and they were able to just pluck kids because Tennessee was a national program. Tennessee's not a national program anymore. Yeah, I know, I know. But Neil, there's a difference between that. And being able to win nine games, they if they had done things correctly, winning nine games is not that difficult. I mean, you know, you're not you're not winning the East. You're finished, you know, but you're also not losing to Vanderbilt and Kentucky. That's where Tennessee is falling off. Tennessee should be Tennessee hasn't been as good as South Carolina for good. I mean, you know, they, it's just how embarrassed they they're not. The reason why they were great under Philip Former was a Philip did a good job, but all the other yeah, there's the things, the advantages. Alabama was awful. Nick Saban wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Auburn wasn't good. LSU wasn't good in, in the West. I mean, and then in the East, it was Florida and Tennessee. Georgia was my God. Jim Donnan had a lot of talent and couldn't get it done. And you know, quite frankly, it was at that point, a a, uh, a a top five program during that stretch. But historically, no. No, historically, Tennessee is a really good top 20-ish type program, top 50. Like we talked about with Auburn, that's what Tennessee is. There's a lot of comps there. And, you know, but both are struggling, and both is a direct correlation to the fact they are not even on the same stratosphere as Alabama. And that wasn't the case. At one time, uh, Tommy Tuberville was holding up what two hands, and you know how many wins. And the, the landscape has changed, and Tennessee spiraled out of control, 
and the teams that used to be bad are like, you know, how much better than they are. I'll just say this. If I offer 10 coaches the Auburn job and the Tennessee job, at least nine take the Auburn job. It's a better job. Well, you mean historically right now? I mean, there's a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think across the board, checks, check, check, check. I, I think, I think. Well, it depends on who you are. You might be surprised. I think that the Auburn jobs are better. It depends on who it is. There's some people that if 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 Tennessee was cleaned up politically, Auburn Auburn's politics are a big problem too, by the way. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the Auburn job is considered better, but I don't know that I'd say nine. It depends on what ten you're asking. You'd be surprised. Sure. You know? yeah, I'm just meant- yeah. yeah. No, I think I would I would say I'd say seven. Okay. I'd say seven of them, but it depends on who you are. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how it is. It's just, you know. One of the things we talked about on Friday was Urban Meyer had hired uh, Chris Doyle, the mm-hmm. strength coach at uh, University of, of Iowa. I've been at Iowa forever, was, uh, was fi- not fired, I guess fired, let go, pushed out, whatever terminology you want to use uh, during the summer um, over some accusations that were made by former Iowa players. Uh, Urban Meyer, now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, had hired uh, Doyle as his director of, essentially director of athletic performance, whatever you want to call that. Um, There was a media backlash that happened last Thursday, Friday, and by Friday night, you and I, our show was not even, our show had not even gotten cold yet, and Chris Doyle uh, stepped down, whatever terminology you want to use there. Uh, What were your... Well, I was laughing because not funny, but uh, we we left the um, the show on Friday with the idea of this this ain't gonna last very long. Yeah. It didn't it didn't last our next show. Um, here's the thing about it, and I've said this before. A, I know Chris Doyle. I've known him for a long time. Probably known him longer than than Urban's known. I think he's a great strength coach. Um, something happened at Iowa. I don't know what, but one of two things happened. When they had the investigation at Iowa, they found out that there was some of the stuff that he was accused of ended up being true. Or there was enough smoke there to where they felt the PR was going to be a mess. I, I would hope that it was if there, if there was no evidence whatsoever that they would have defended Chris. And I would hope that Chris would fight it if if there was no truth to it. In either case, it is a PR move because I'm talking about denial. Okay, this looks bad. Uh, there's enough evidence. We can't prove, maybe we feel strongly about ABC. We can't prove X, Y, Z, whatever. It was moved on. Um, with that said, Meyer is, okay, so the question is, how could not for, uh, Meyer foresee the firestorm? Very simple. Urban is, you've got, people who are arrogant, and then he's off the charts arrogant. Urban, as I said on Friday, you're not in Gainesville, you're not in Columbus, where you can deal with things a certain way and have the local media you know, back you up. 
Zach Smith, oh, it's not his fault. Not, you know, you can't. You're in the NFL. The NFL media will get you. You have to be beyond arrogant because Urban's not stupid, but he is very arrogant. You Here's the point. You cannot, with 85% of your players being black, you cannot keep, in the case of Iowa, or hire um, a guy that's going to deal with black players that have that history. Because the perception is, this guy was let go at Iowa because of this, and you're going to hire him. That is beyond stupid. And no, he shouldn't have sticked to his guns. First of all, it wasn't his decision. That came from Park Avenue to Shot Khan. This is what's going to be done. You can resign. You can do whatever you want. Okay, but if it was his decision, no. No, you don't stick by your guns. That's stupid. You make a dumb decision and you you, you can't foresee the outcome, but you're going to stick by it. How stupid is that? No, you ha- you, you're tone deaf if you understand. Now, I don't know, and this is the difficult part for me. I don't know what happened with Chris. I don't. Yeah, I, I said this the other day, and I, I'll repeat it again. I, I'm I'm not versed enough in that to know what what actually happened. It's one person's word against one. But I know Iowa let him go. Iowa kicked him out because there was something there. And he didn't fight it. And his reputation is at stake, Neil, for the rest of his life. And let me say this, not cut you off, but just something else. It just There is no more important position on a staff that touches every player than the strength coach. Yep. See, yep. If, you got, if you're a quarterback coach, and you don't like a guy, and you're the defensive lineman, it's one thing. Everybody has to deal as like a – there's a brotherhood between the strength coach and that player, and it's a big brother, tough love. And Rock says, well, he was an arrogant dumbass. Yeah, I'd say my point. Urban is an arrogant guy. I'm Urban Meyer. I can do what I want to do. Well, guess what? You're in the NFL – you don't know how it works, and you better learn. Because here's the thing, that strike one against Urban. Because here's what it does. You might have gotten rid of Chris Doyle, but every player now, black player, every player you have to know how they're going to feel about that. So every one of them are saying, what the hell do we have as a head coach here? Is this how he feels? You follow me? Maybe he doesn't say racial things, but does he condone it? See, this is the type of things you open the door up, but when you're so arrogant and you think it's all about you, and I, people know, I've known Urban since he was a GA college, think the world of him, but boy, he is, he is tone deaf beyond belief. He has, again, been enabled. You're not in Utah, in Bowling Green, in Gainesville, in Columbus, to where they're going to put up with it and they're going to make excuses for you. So when you're running a rogue program at Florida and you have the Aaron Hernandez's who had all sorts of problems there, I don't think anybody could expect him being a, a murderer. But you darn sure knew this guy was a bad dude and they had more problems in Gainesville and everybody in that media that covered that up and made excuses, they that ain't going to happen in the NFL. And when the Fritz Pollard Alliance, who I know, Rod Graves, and when the NFLPA is going to get involved, you're not going to have that type of guy. The league won't allow it, 
And so what it does, it makes you look weak as a head coach. And so he's off to a bad start. Now he's got to clean that up. It was dumb. It was dumb. But why was it dumb? It's not that Urban's dumb. He's arrogant. Arrogance could blind you to where you're bigger than the game. Urban, you're not. You haven't done a damn thing in the NFL. You might. Here's the media difference between covering a college program and covering an NFL franchise, and I've done both. When you cover a college program, if you're negative, the fans will try to run you off. If you cover an NFL franchise and you're a homer, the fans will try to run you off. Mm-hmm. They, they expect different things. It's a total. It's two totally different kinds of fandom. And um, Urban Urban's about to deal with media that's going to get after him, both locally and nationally. And he's never dealt with it before. Everywhere, and, th- and this is like this would Jacksonville would be one of the like friendly, soft yeah. NFL media type. This yeah. ain't like Chicago, no, or New York, or yeah, no, exactly. Philadelphia. <laughs> Can you imagine oh. coaching the Eagles? <laughs> I mean, so but but here's the thing: you can deal with negative media if you win. Here's the problem: is how does this? How now, now? Here's what I'm. Here's what, and here's why I get upset with it. Because I like Urban, and yet I think he's really talented. But like so many talented people in any profession, his arrogance bites him in the ass. Pardon me. It, it frustrates me because now he's put himself in a bad way in that locker room with his own players, with his black assistant coaches. And with NFL free agents, draft pick, folks, it's why certain coaches, the Nick Saban, that they march with their players. Why? They show support for their players. 85% of them are black, folks. Okay, so you might not agree with them politically, but those 85% of those folks, they think differently politically than you do. And as a coach, as a leader, if you have no job, if you don't respect their viewpoints or their rights to have it, and you don't support them. And when you go and hire a guy that was fired for this reason, it tone deaf ain't the word. I need to get a thesaurus out. And, and tone deaf on steroids is beyond arrogant. It's just dumb. It's, it's, look, I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to be smart about. And so my concern is, what's it, and get this, you know, what's the first thing he does? I don't know if people caught this, Neil. I don't know if you caught this or not. So this came out Friday night. Yeah. Saturday morning. You know what he did? I mean, this is what happened. He got ticked off. Urban did. Urban, for people don't, Urban makes, he's the GM. They hired a GM, Trent Balky underneath him. Urban makes all the decisions. This was Urban's call. You know what Urban got frustrated by? He wanted a new press conference, a press release to be put out with Trent Balky's name on it. He didn't want to be tied to this decision himself. He wanted to be made that other people, well, Trent or even Shad Khan. Now, Shad Khan is the boss. Shad Khan, Shad Khan should have been smart enough to say, no, 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 can't do that. But there's only one person above Urban Meyer in the Jaguars organization. That's Shad Khan and his son who's running. So my point is, is and, and by the way, you want to see something that's going to be fun? 
Trent Bulky is the one of the biggest backstabbers in all of foot in all of pro football. He was the guy, right or wrong, regardless of what you think on that backstab, Jim Harbaugh. And this is already becoming a three-ring circus behind the scenes. So this is like this situation is one situation, but the Jacksonville situation is going to be really intriguing in the football world behind the scenes. I mean, I got more text saying, oh, my goodness, it's already happening. This is a three-ring circus there. We'll, uh, we'll be back on, on Friday with another edition of the show. We'll tell you real quick, uh, some SEC basketball games for this week start tonight. Missouri is at Georgia. A big game for Missouri. They need to get back uh, on the winning track after back-to-back losses to Ole Miss and Arkansas. Speaking of Arkansas, the Hogs kind of red hot right now. They entertain Florida tonight, uh, both of these games, at 7 Eastern, 6 Central. Uh, Florida at Arkansas. Uh, the rest of the schedule for the week, it's been changing day-to-day. Uh, let's see, the games for Wednesday, as of now, Kentucky is at Vanderbilt. It's a uh, 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern game on the SEC Network to be followed by South Carolina at Tennessee at uh, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. And then now we have some Thursday games on the schedule. Uh, Alabama goes to Texas A&M's a 2 o'clock Central game. The icy weather all over the Southeast has made everybody scramble. Uh, LSU and Ole Miss, which was originally scheduled for uh, Wednesday as a as kind of an added game on Sunday. They scheduled it for Wednesday night. They've now moved that game to Thursday in Oxford at 4 Central, 5 Eastern. Also at the same hour, Mississippi State is uh, scheduled to play at Auburn. Again, that's 5 Central. I'm I'm sorry, 5 Eastern, 4 o'clock Central. The standings in the SEC going into uh, this week of action. Alabama still running away with the league. The tied 12-1 in the league. Arkansas, LSU, both 8-4. Two teams that are uh, making runs for seeding. Uh, Florida six and four, Tennessee now seven and five, Missouri six and five, Ole Miss winners of four in a row. They're seven and six. Kentucky starting to play a little bit better. They're five and seven in the league. Georgia uh, five and eight. So is Auburn and Mississippi State. Uh, the the Tigers ineligible for the postseason. Mississippi State quickly playing their way out of the postseason. Uh, South Carolina three and seven. Texas A and M's two and six. And uh, Vanderbilt, after a win in Starkville on Saturday, the Commodores have improved to six and ten overall, two and eight in the league. So when we get back together on Friday, we'll have uh, we'll have some games we can talk about. We uh, we keep saying we're going to get to some basketball, and we don't do it. Uh, no, I know that's, that, that's my fault. No, no, that's my good. fault. We got to get on a couple of things that that, that they, was they want football. They like they like football, and, and they do. And, and all the but question, by the way, hit me up tomorrow, folks. I know you had a lot of NFL stuff, and I I just went too long on some stuff, so I apologize to everyone. Hit me up tomorrow, same time. I'll be doing scouts eye on football tomorrow, and we can answer some of these questions about Texans and whatever else you got going. But appreciate everybody's patience. But we had a couple of couple of you know I think really interesting topics today that. I went a little longer, as always do on things. So, All right. We'll be back on Friday with another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Until then, stay safe out there, be careful, and uh, we'll see you on Friday. For Chris, I'm Neil. Take care.